0: you're doing fantastic today this is rafael garcia here for episode 153 of the mma ratings podcast today is tuesday february 25th and i hope you are doing well today i hope you have had a good week we did not do any shows last week simply because i needed some time away mental health is something that i'm trying to take a stronger stance on in 2020 whatever this year is and i needed a break so i took a break last week didn't do this show didn't do the wrestling podcast as well and just kind of hung out and rested so I'm back this week Schwann is not with me today um he's probably doing super dad stuff as he usually is so it is just me and I have a couple of things to talk about today we have three topics we're going to bounce around on when it comes to the combat sports world today so Before I do that, I want to always say thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. Please be sure to subscribe to our content. You can catch us on MMA Ratings Net where you find all the written work for myself, Sean, Michael, and Adam. And you can check out our uh, social media spaces over at MMA Ratings Net on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also catch us on YouTube for this podcast and our wrestling podcast at MMA Ratings on YouTube. And you can find us on various podcasting platforms, just iTunes, uh, Anchor, and Spotify and others as well. So please be sure to like and subscribe to our content, share it with with your friends, and let everyone know that you have listened to the MMA Ratings Podcast because that support goes a long way for us. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into some of the content pieces for This week, Um, we're going to start off with what was probably the biggest story in combat sports this week, and that was the boxing rematch between um, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, where Tyson Fury got the stoppage via technical knockout at the end of the seventh round when Fury's um, corner threw in the towel. So I want to start with some thoughts on the outcome of the fight. And in my opinion, the Finish. Okay, so I had picked Fury to win. I thought he would win a decision because I recognized he was a better boxer of the two. And I thought he was going to do enough to negate Wilder's power and stop him from landing anything massive that would have ended, ended the fight. I thought he would have been able to do enough of that throughout 12 rounds to get the win. But I didn't think he was going to pour it on in a way that would allow him to get the finish, and boy was I wrong. I mean, he was hurting Wilder from the very start. You saw him drop um, Wilder as well, so you know he was laying it on. Like, it's almost as if he went in there with the intention of proving a point, and that's almost exactly what he did. When the fight was coming to an end, you just saw him measuring Wilder in a way that I don't think any of us really expected to see, and it goes a long way in submitting him as the better boxer, as probably the greatest heavyweight in the sport right now. And it's hard to really argue any uh, opposite to that. But the outcome overall, I'm not going to say it surprised me. Well, like I said, I picked... Theory to win but i just did not expect that finish to happen in that way uh, i was talking to some people who work with me at fight metric about this fight uh, a couple of hours before and we were talking about how long it was going to go and i was making the case that we should always pick the over and i expected the fight to go all 12 rounds we were hanging up on whether it would go six or seven i was i was arguing for all 12 and it looks like we were we were right at seven for um this finish and i mean there's nothing really that you can take away from this that benefits wilder in any way shape or form he was outclassed outclassed in every way uh from start to finish and i think that that really hurts his legacy per se and what's interesting about this is because i have a lot of casual fight fans i have a lot of casual friends who are excuse me i have a lot of friends who are casual fight fans and many of them were watching this fight and they all kinda had the same response as if like we thought we we thought we would see more from um Deontay Wilder and that's especially important among the African American community where there has been a kind of a falling off of interest in Boxing and and MMA as a whole, Well, there never really was that much of a following within MMA, but that's another story for another day. But from a boxing standpoint, I think that the support has slowly waned and because there hasn't been a marquee name that has garnered the attention of a Tyson or a Mayweather. Um, Wilder was probably the closest one coming around to this point, especially with people like B-Hop out of the sport – Shane Mosley and um, Roy Jones Jr., you know, all, all those names are out of the sport. So there hasn't been a name that has garnered the same amount of attention. Andre Ward wasn't that guy. Um, Javante Davis isn't that guy, especially with his uh, issues coming around now. So there really hasn't been a name that has been able to keep that interest there in the years since, um, since Tyson, since Mayweather, since B-Hop, since – Shane Mosley, et cetera, et cetera. There hasn't been a name there. A lot of people thought that Wilder would be that name. And, I mean, maybe he still will be at some point in time. He is, you know, you know, heavyweights do fight longer. They do fight further into their advanced ages. But this is a fight that will, I'm not going to say hamper him, but it will hurt his, his cachet. I mean, Fury just may be that guy he can't beat. Everyone has... That individual It's kind of like um, if you look back to I'm trying to think of an of a MMA comparison where, you know, Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman. Uh, Anderson Silva beat a whole lot of people, but he just couldn't do anything with uh, Chris Weidman. Um, you look at uh, who's another guy that had multiple, multiple rematches. I can't really think of any off the top of my head right now, but there's always going to be that person that you just can't overcome. And for Deontay Wilder, it looks like Tyson Fury. May be that individual. So I want to talk a little bit about how this probably will impact Fury, because, like I said, he, he probably has the most to gain from this outcome. And you already see a lot of other outlets supporting and, and kind of speaking praises of him. What caught my attention was this past Monday on WWE Monday Night Raw, they were shouting him out heavily during that broadcast. And in the months leading to this um, event, he was featured on uh various shows for um WWE and there was also a rumor that he was going to be in the Royal Rumble which was back in January that did not occur thankfully but he has that appeal it's clear that they want to work with him I would not be surprised if he has some type of involvement at WrestleMania this year some type of segment or something like that would not be surprised at all you see that they've already had him in the ring for multiple segments in, in, in a match with Braun Strowman in the past so if they found a way to get him involved again, that would not surprise me one bit. So like that really shows that he does, he has the ability to be a bigger star than he currently already is. But I don't think and I'm not sure if that star would be a transitional or a will it will it translate across multiple um, demographics. I don't think that that's quite the space. So combat sports is a bit different than say basketball or soccer or football or something like that, where athletes athletes attract fans of various demographics. Combat sports is a little different, and I don't think that Fury will be that individual. I'm not saying Wilder, wilder was either, but yeah, I, I don't see either one of these guys drawing a lot of attention from other people outside of their own demographic. Um, there's a bigger story going on. From this fight about whether or not the towel should have been thrown in as like that you know clearly that's how the fight ended but the response to that afterwards has been very interesting to follow uh because of course there's that contingent talking about the towel should not have been thrown that they should have let deontay water go out on his shield but in the grand scheme of things look at what has happened across boxing in the last three years or so, how many people have died from injuries from taking prolonged and extended beatings? I mean, it's, I think we're up to like four in the last three years or so like that, four or five. That is four or five too many, not necessarily even counting all the others that have sustained long-term, not even career, career-altering, I'm talking life-altering injuries just from taking prolonged beatings from fights that could have been stopped. This could have been one of those situations. I mean, at the end of the seventh round, uh Tyson Fury was teeing off on Deontay Wilder, like measuring him in a way that you see on World Star videos or measuring him in a way that you see on Instagram where people are getting knocked out left and right. That's how he was measuring Deontay Wilder. So you have a trained combat athlete measuring on another man like that. And it doesn't who Couldn't defend himself. He had his hands up, but he was basically a punching bag at that point in time. And there's people saying that he should have been allowed to take more damage to go out on his shield. And even think about that. That phrase, go out on your shield, is emblematic of death. I think it was the Spartans, I believe, who would carry their dead on their shield after after a war, war would be waged. So that right there in and of itself is saying that you're okay with someone taking enough damage within the ring that they can be seriously injured like that is that is the level of ignorance within that simple comment that is troubling about this whole situation here um i think luke thomas is attempting to have the trainer who threw the towel i can't remember the guy's name uh i think it's mark 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 barryman who threw the towel on his show and I hope he gets that interview because that's a conversation I, I want to hear because I think that that's something that's missing in combat sports it's definitely missing in mixed martial arts you probably see it more in boxing and there's probably there's probably a myriad of reasons around that boxers get paid more so they they are already you know they guarantee their money they're not doing the whole split purse showing win money deal because that that's probably a big part of it too is like there's so many different ramifications as to why this is not occurring more than you would see in combat sports but even this past weekend at UFC Norfolk hours before uh, Fury and Wilder fought there was probably two examples at least of fights that could have been stopped by their corners throwing in the towel one being Carolina Kowalkiewicz who was taking a beating from um can't think of the young Chinese lady that was beating on her, but she was getting thumped. She couldn't see out of one eye for almost 15 minutes. And she's getting pummeled in a way. And, you know, she's two and six. She's fighting for her UFC roster spot. And I'm sure she lost that fight. And I'm sure she's going to get cut from the UFC. But look at all the damage she's taken over the last few years from her fight with Yorana Yunjaychek, where she took 25 minutes worth of damage there. To getting absolutely land blasted by um, Jessica Andrade, getting knocked out there. To I think she had a close fight with Michelle Waterson, where she took um, I think Michelle may have submitted her, but still, I, extra levels of damage that you did not have to take across your career is continuing to happen, and we saw that on in that fight on Saturday. The main event between Dan Hooker and Paul Fodor, we're going to talk about that later, but those two guys took miles and miles of, of, of damage as well. Now that fight was a little different because it was closer and it was two guys exchanging it was two guys exchanging a lot of shots and trading damage. So it wasn't it wasn't to a point where it was so one sided you could have stopped it. But man, those two guys may never be the same. Dan Hooker didn't throw in the towel when he was fighting against Edson Barbosa and this is the second fight now where he's taking a lot of damage. Who knows what that is going to have on not only the quality of his fighting in the future, but his quality of life. So I always err on the side of the towel being thrown. I um, do not have any issue with that because, in my opinion, it is the corner taking a stand for their fighter's health and their fighter's safety. And I agree with that. I I am not one to ever um, say that towel should not not be thrown in. If I was ever cornering someone I would throw in the towel I told a guy who I was helping get ready for a fight you know if you are in danger I'm going to throw in the towel they can be mad at me later but I would rather than be safer and in a better health situation than taking extensive amount of damage where they're not responding and they're not being and they're not in position to defend themselves so what's next for Wilder and Fury I think that well Wilder has already called for the rematch the trilogy fight. I am not a fan of that while there is it's a thirty day um a thirty day kind of i guess clause that he has to call for that fight in order for it to get booked and made. I am not a fan of that immediate rematch because you often see that when fights are turn when the turnaround for fights are are faster. That the situation is usually the, the 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 outcome is usually the same and it's more decisive more often than not. One example of the opposite that stands out to me that kind of pops out to mind immediately was the fight between Frankie uh, Frankie Edgar and Benson Henderson when that fight was um much where a lot of time had passed and or not excuse me a lot of time did not pass between the two and the fight was different. A lot of people think that Edgar won the second and lost the first first fight. But outside of that, oftentimes the fights tend to look the same and you tend to get the same type of outcome. So when it comes to Fury and Wilder, I would like to see Tyson Fury fight Anthony Joshua. I think that that situation needs to get rectified. We need to get the Anthony Joshua conversation out of the way. I mean, his fight, his loss to... Anthony Ruiz really did hurt his stock, even though he got that win back. He didn't look like the world beater that he was claiming himself to be. So his stock dropped after um, that moment. He's still relatively young. He's 30 years old. Well, I mean, that's not even relatively young. I will call that young. He's 30 years old, and I think, how old is Tyson Fury? Let me see. Let me pop that open real quick. I think Tyson Fury is 36, but let me see. Tyson Fury is 31, excuse me. So he's relatively young as well, too. So I think that that's that's the fight that should be made first. Now, Deontay Wilder doesn't have as much time. He is an older individual who I would see him wanting to get that fight back sooner rather than later. uh, Deontay Wilder is 34. So, I mean, again... These guys still have time. They still have an opportunity to to build to, to build something interesting between the three of them. I, I think that that's something that people will want to see. We do want to see all three individuals fight each other, I think. So I believe uh, Joshua should be put into this conversation at some point in time. I know that there's clearly um, – there's clearly – contract and, and different promotion promotional conversations that need to be had around that which is always going to muddy things up and and murk, excuse, muddle things up and just make it not as uh, interesting as some may say but this is still an opportunity that I, I think that, that those fights need to be uh, made as a, and they need to be explored um, more so than anything else but outside of them, I, I, I'm not too sure. I'm not – this is why I hope Schw- or wish Schwann would be on the show because I'm not too, too familiar with the heavyweight division beyond those three. But, again, I think that there is some value that could be made about um, finding a way to put those two men in fights together. Maybe do Wilder and Joshua to see which one of them will fight Fury in the future. Um, do Fury and Joshua to see who um, gets the – fix this to see how uh, water fits in on the back end. There's options there but at the end of the day it's, it's, it's a difficult conversation to be um, held in any way shape or form. So I wanted to move on to topic number two which was looking at UFC Norfolk which is scheduled for this weekend and this is an interesting card to me not because it has a bunch of valuable fights, a bunch of big names on the card, but for a couple of different reasons. First and foremost, you can look at the main event, and you can see why this is important, because the UFC 5-weight title is Backup for Grabs between Joseph Benavidez and um, Davidson, I think that's how you say that, uh, Figueredo. And, you know, this is the fight that, this is the belt that, was originally held by Demetrius Johnson. Henry Cejudo won the title from him and then vacated it because he was refusing to defend it. So that belt is up for grabs. And you have to immediately wonder, is the UFC going to make a point to keep this division around? I don't even know. Do they have rankings for this division? Because I remember they started cutting... They started to release guys that were ranked at um, 125. Yes, they do have a divisional ranking set up for that. But they started to cut guys um, that were listed in this group. It's interesting because on their website, Suhudo is still listed as champion. But this fight isn't for an interim belt. It's for the actual title. That's my understanding. Let me pop that open real quick. Let me see. Because I don't think that... I think this is for the actual title. Um... Yeah, this is for the vacant belt, so they still have Um Hunicuto listed as the champion. Hopefully, they change that post haste on um, Saturday. But looking at this division, I mean, it's pretty much it's I don't want to use the term barren, but they have to figure out what to do with this group, especially after um losing a couple of guys that that they decided to let go uh, at. UFC Auckland, um, Kayakara France, he actually looked really good in his fight against Tyson Nam, so maybe he's someone that they're looking at at building up, but across the board, I think that I'm always a fan of the 125-pound division. I was a big Demetrius Johnson fan. He was my favorite fighter for an extended period of time. I still think he's one of the top three fighters in the world today, top three to five. So there's definitely... My That's that's my bias. I don't think that the UFC should do away with this division at all. I'm happy to see them putting this title up for grabs, giving fighters another opportunity. Because when one thing we saw with a lot of these double champs and these champ champs coming around is that opportunities were going away. Now, you don't see, we're going to talk about Megan Anderson in a second, but she's demanding um, that Amanda Nunez give up the featherweight title. She doesn't plan on defending that. We know Henry Cejudo wasn't planning on defending the flyweight title, so that's why he was forced to give up that. Um, Daniel Cormier was forced to give up the light heavyweight title. Uh, Conor McGregor was forced to give up the featherweight title when he had both. So like, there's, there's multiple examples of where these double champ situations don't create opportunities for the rest of the uh, roster across two divisions. So hopefully we see that slowly go away in a, in a sense, but... We're looking at one of the first steps this weekend with um, this flyweight title being up for grabs. I think that Benavidez is going to come out the victor here. He's been the, I guess the bridesmaid is the, I don't know if that's a PC word to use anymore, but he's been the bridesmaid so many different times that at some point in time he has to be um, able to win a title. He's fought for three different titles already. He's fought for the uh, flyweight title twice, the first time against uh, Demetrius Johnson losing a split decision, then getting knocked out in the rematch. He also fought Dominic Cruz back in the WBC days for the bantamweight title and was un- unable to get it done there as well. So maybe this is the opportunity where we see Benavidez get a victory and finally get a belt put around his waist. I think that would be a, a, a good moment. Um, I think that would be a, a, good, a good moment for the sport that is often marred by too many bad and cringeworthy moments. So I think that's that 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 alone is something worth watching uh, as well. So I'm looking forward to that main event. I wanted to talk about Megan Anderson as well. She is on the main card as long as as well as Felicia Spencer, who beat her in her last fight out. But I wonder this is an opportunity for Anderson to get some type of shine back. When she came into the UFC, she was expected to be. The uh, woman who would give the woman who would give uh, what was the name Chris Cyborg a run for her money. Now that did not occur. Instead, she's gone two and two since that time, where she's one um, she lost to Holly Holm and then lost to Felicia Spencer. And then she won two fights as well, and this is an opportunity for her to put together back-to-back wins for the first time since joining the UFC. And in it, and it is a good opportunity for her. She's fighting a woman who is five foot seven, okay, five foot seven, and at a massive disadvantage when it comes to size, when it comes to position, when it comes to um, everything else. So. We know that this is the type of fight that Megan Anderson is should should style on. I think she's nearly six feet tall. Uh, let me see how. Let me see how tall Megan Anderson. I feel like she's six feet tall. She'll have the range advantage. Um, it's funny. I, I go to Wikipedia. I type in Megan and I get all types of responses first. So yeah, she is. Yeah, she's six feet tall. Fighting at a hundred and. 45 pounds. Oh, let me see what the reach um is in this fight here. Let's see something. Let's see if they have that. So I'm hopping over to fight metric. And the reach is man, so Norma, her opponent is five foot seven with a sixty-seven inch reach. Megan Anderson is six feet tall with a seventy-two inch reach. So I'm um, get so okay. So Norma is a, a, normally a 135 pounder. So she's fighting up to get in, in into the UFC. Now that makes a little bit more sense here. But clearly she's at a major disadvantage in this bout here, and I should ex- and I expect that Anderson will figure out a way to um style on her. And she's only four zero, so she has every a- advantage. That you could want coming into this fight. I just hope that Anderson finds a way to translate that. And get a big win. At a time where she needs it. If she's going to keep pace with Spencer. Uh, fighting for a title shot. Because right now they don't have. They don't have women's featherweight rankings. But Felicia Spencer is. Let me see how. she's. I know she's at least 1-0 in the UFC. So she. Oh, okay she lost to Chris Cyborg. I remember that fight, but she's already fought for the title. So here it is now. Anderson wins. Maybe she could be the um, next person in line to fight uh, Amanda Nunez. Now I don't think she wins that fight, but we'll see how um, that goes in the near future. So another thing I wanted to talk about from this card as well was the amount of young talent that they have across UFC Norfolk. I was writing a piece about this for... Fansided, and they have, there's 24 fighters on this card. Let me double check because it may have just changed. Yeah, there's 24 fighters on this card. Of the 24 that are here, 18 of them are 29 years old or less. And those individuals have come into, majority of them, I think only maybe one or two, have come into the UFC by you know, just fighting on regional organizations. All the others have come up through either the Ultimate Fighter like um, Luis Pena or the Dana White Contender Series or some way, shape, or form. You know, they've taken other fights in the UFC, and I was looking at a couple of these guys, and there's names I didn't recognize who are 26, 25, 27 years old, and they already have three fights within the UFC, multiple wins. And I'm like, who are these individuals that shows you just how big the promotion has gotten and just how active everyone is across the board? But that really stood out to me because I laughed with the, with the NFL Combine coming up in a couple of weeks in April. We always – I know at least my friends who – you know, we worked at ESPN together, we still talk sports all the time together, we often look at the birthdays of the newer draft draft picks as they come up and we cringe at individuals who are born in the 90s, born like so many, like not even years ago. We're getting to the point now where some of these athletes were born in the 2000s. Think about that. Some of these athletes soon will be born in the 2000s fighting in, in the octagon. We already see that in the NFL. We already see that in the NBA. uh, see that in baseball. see that in soccer as well. We're getting there. We're getting to that point within the uh, mixed martial arts community as well. And I always think that it's exciting to watch new prospects compete at a high level because you, it's such a hard conversation to have when trying to decide who – is a breakthrough talent, and who is not. It's a crapshoot. You can make the argument and say, oh, this person right here will be um, challenging for a belt at some point in time in, in the future. This person right here has all the tools to be great, and then they totally disappear. You have someone like a Matt Riddle, who was on like, almost like a four or five fight win streak when he was cut from the UFC at a relatively young age. Now, he's still doing fantastic work over in uh, the WWE today, but he was young when his fight career came to an end. Or you can have someone like a Jordan Mean who was who was young fighting for an extended period of time at a young age, but doing so much damage to himself that now he's not the fighter that a lot people expected him to be. Same thing with a Rory McDonald. Um, he never reached UFC uh, championship levels, you know, but he's a former Bellator champion heading over to the PFL, but he's still relatively, I think he's only 31 or 32 And we recognize the amount of damage he's taken over his career. Like, let's look real quick. So, let's see. Rory McDonald is 30 years old. He'll be turning 31 this year. And people will argue that his best days are behind him. He's 31 and he has, let's see how many professional fights. He has on his career twenty eight. Um, he's twenty twenty one and six. Man, you realize, yeah, because he yeah, he's twenty twenty one and six. He's thirty. Then we have Jordan Mean, who will be turning thirty one this year as well. He has forty three professional fights on his record, almost twice as many, and he's gotten back into the um, UFC. I think he has. Actually, I take that back. He was just recently signed by Bellator, riding a two-fight um, win streak. So it's, you have to wonder what these guys are really looking like. I remember when he lost three fights in a row. He lost to Thiago Alves, Emil we- uh, uh Emil Meek, excuse me, and Bilal Mohammed from 2015 to 2016, where he only fought one time each year, but people were pretty much considering him washed, especially after that Matt Brown drumming and he took back in 2013. But still, the conversation is still the, the same here. Like You see young fighters come into, the, come into mixed martial arts, and you not be able to tell what they're going to be long-term, but it's always uh, enjoyable, for lack of a better term, to watch them rise up through the rankings. And this Saturday's UFC Norfolk card has a lot of those individuals that we should pay attention to and see what they play out to be over the long-term. So I also wanted to talk about some fight announcements that were booked for uh, – that were announced this week. So first we have Henry Cejudo versus Jose Aldo for the Bantamweight Championship at UFC 250. And, yeah, everybody everybody that's involved with this should be ashamed of themselves. Um, Aldo's coming off of a loss. Yes, he made weight fighting against um, Marlon Morales, And Cejudo has a recent victory over Marlon. But it's not as if Cejudo doesn't have – contenders. Peter Jan is there for him to fight. Um, He has Aljamain Sterling, two guys that have been calling him out that he shows no interest in fighting. And that's pretty embarrassing when you look at the, uh, you're supposed to be a champion, you're supposed to be defending the belt, but you want to defend it against a guy, Aldo, who lost the featherweight championship. Um, Let me see, what is Aldo's current Win-loss record. Like, where is he sitting? Let's see something real quick. So, Jose Aldo is right. He's lost five of his last eight. Five of his last eight. He lost to Alexander Volkanovski. who's a current featherweight champion. He lost to Mauro Morales via split decision. Whatever you think about that fight. It was still a split decision. He lost to Max Holloway twice, and he lost to Conor McGregor. We all know about that fight back in 2015. What else is there to really say about that? Um, but yet, he's the guy that's fighting for the title just because he made enough noise to get this fight booked. It completely throws out everything about, this, about these rankings. I mean, somehow, Aldo was sitting at Number six in the, in the in the division when he doesn't have a, a a win. How how does that make? He's sitting at six in bantamweight and eleven at um featherweight. How does that even make sense? You have Marlon Morales, Adrien Sterling, Peter Yannick, Corey St. Hagen, and Rafael Sanchez sitting ahead of him. All all of those guys should be getting title shots before. Jose Aldo, but this is what this is the age that we live in now, where guys like Saheudo can win belts, not want to defend them against viable contenders and chase after money. Now I can't, I'm not mad at him for that part. You are a prize fighter. His job is to go out there and win the biggest prizes that he possibly can, for as long as he possibly can, because his career is going to be short. I totally understand that. I get that, but there there's got to be some type of of system in place to make sure that people are getting opportunities and this isn't this isn't it. Uh, and the other fight that was announced is the exact opposite where you have Valentina Shevchenko fighting Calderwood at, um, Joanne Calderwood at um at USC two fifty one. And if you look at what Shevchenko is doing, she's fighting every contender that's put in front of her. She beat Jessica I, knocked her out, stopped Caitlin um Chukagian via via strikes. Those That's the number one and the number two contender. She's fighting Joanne Calderwood next at number three. She beats her. She may be going after Jennifer Maya and Roxanne Martafari as well. I mean she's going it's – like, it's almost as if she has like a list of names and she's checking them off one by one, one by one. And that's exactly how it's supposed to be done. I mean uh, Amanda Nunez was doing the same thing in her her division. Jermaine Deronimi beat her. Holly Holm beat her. I mean she beat so many people on that list already that it's like – what else are we supposed to do with or You see that happening with the women, but the men are doing this jump around bullshit that is just out of control. Um, especially Henry Cejudo, I and mean, it's almost it's it's embarrassing to watch. It's just it's ridiculous in 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 my opinion. It's totally ridiculous, and I think that this fight is a prime example of that. A UFC rankings don't mean shit, and B like this this divisional stuff is just this champ champ stuff is just killing, not killing the sport, but it's definitely, it's limiting the opportunities for men and women to be able to um, do the best that they possibly can for themselves. Because Aldo should, Aldo's not deserving of a title shot. The way, and it's almost sickening to watch Dana White try to sell this to people as if he, like, just say, just tell the truth. Just say, hey, we're making this fight because it's looking at, the divisions, this is probably the biggest name that we can put in this position that will make the most money. Just say that. People would be okay with you just saying that instead of serving us up some ridiculous story that he does each time each time a camera gets in front of his face. And the cringe shit that Henry Sahiro's doing, I'm not a fan of it. I don't know a lot of people that are, but clearly it's having it's helping him get his way in some way, shape or form. So that fight is also announced. Joanne Cowderwood challenging Valentina Shevchenko for her flyweight title. Okay, that's going to be another body that um, Shevchenko catches because I don't think Cowderwood has anything for her. I don't know too much about Calderwood. I know I've seen her fight, but I just can't think of seeing too much of her. So let me pop open her trend real quick. So she has, I mean, she has a strong kickboxing record, too, where she's, what, 20, she's 19-2 and two across her kickboxing career, but that pales in comparison to Valentina Shevchenko. She's 14-4 and four in MMA. She recently lost to Caitlin Chukagian via unanimous decision. She's lost to Cynthia Calvillo, Jessica Andraj, and Marina Moros, or Marina Morales, excuse me. Um, all within the UFC since 2015. So it's just like, it's like okay, well, this is another body, but Shevchenko is doing what she needs to do, and beating everybody that the UFC puts in front of her. Um, as I've always said on the show and in conversations, I'm like the biggest Shevchenko fan because I don't like the way they push her so much, but she keeps getting the job done. There, there's no arguing what she's been able to do as champion. She's doing the, what the champion should do and just checking names off. Fighting in one after another, fighting in a relatively short order as well too, and looking good, and looking better every time she um every time she does so. So the last thing I wanted to touch upon, and I just wanted to hit on this really quickly, was a main event at UFC Auckland where we had Paul Felder and Dan Hooker fighting to a split decision with Hooker getting the win there. And I um I haven't watched this fight again, I may do so, but off of what I remember and talking to uh, my colleagues at the time, I think I gave Hooker around one, three and five, two and four to Felder. And Felder was doing a good job of winning four for five until he got taken down. I think he definitely think he was landing the harder shots. He was doing the damage. There's a point there where he looked like he had Hooker about to go out and um he was gonna get get a stoppage finish there. But Hooker was able to hang on and get the takedown. I think he got almost got to his back in some way, shape or form and um Was able to get the points there to get the win and and take the round. But this was an excellent, excellent fight. This is one of those fights where you got to go back and just sit back and watch it. Don't tweet while you're watching it. Don't take any notes. Just enjoy the violence. These two guys were beating the shit out of each other. And they were doing it in a tactical, technical way. That was just violent. I mean, there's a picture that was going around of both men strapped to gurneys afterwards being sent to the hospital, or I don't know if they were sent to the hospital, that was when they, when they were already in the hospital, but it's those type of fights that is just like, man, you, these are the fights that make fans of of, of these fighters, but they're also the fights that shave years off of people's careers on years, probably years off of their life as well, too. It was violent. It was a violent back and forth battle, and I'm, you know, you have to be thankful for fighters that can give us that type of that type of fight for our enjoyment, that's why we watch the sport um Paul Felder he announced that he's stepping away um that hasn't been 110% confirmed that he may, may be retiring but either or you know Felder is that guy that he was never he never got to the title shot place he never became a champion he always got close he always got close to get there and, and, and you know every sport needs those guys there. They're the guys you root for, you want to see them get the opportunity, you want to see them break through to the top, but they just don't get there and um if it if that was his last time fighting then okay i I understand that, but i'm I'm a Paul folderder fan, he is a tough out for anyone. I wish he didn't take that fight. I will too wait when he did, but I understand why why. He did, but he's a tough out for anyone, and that man deserves some respect. Um, I love seeing him on uh, the booth when he's in the booth. Uh, I know. He, I wonder if he's going to go back to acting um, a little bit too, as well. You never know. He was a, a thespian with time on the stage before he started fighting. But either way, shape or form, I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you to Paul Felder. And if you have an opportunity, guys, go back and watch that fight with um, Dan Hooker. It was it was fucking amazing from start to finish. So. What am I working on? Uh, as usual, you know, covering MMA, covering professional wrestling. You can find my work here on MMA Ratings. Uh, you can find my work over on Fan Sighted and Daily DDT as well. Please be sure to go to mmaratings.net .net to uh, rate the fights. Let us know how excited you are for up, upcoming contests and how um, you rated the fights that have recently gone by. Be sure to do that. And again, you can always find us at M- M- mmaratings.net for all of our written content. You can check us out on all the podcast platforms. YouTube is our main outlet. We're at MMA Ratings. Uh, that's our channel there. Spotify, Anchor, all of those um, outlets. iTunes, check us out there. MMA Ratings Net on Instagram and Twitter. Um, We're still constantly working on our um, social media strategies, constantly working on our strategies there to draw in more viewers, so be sure to check out all of our content. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share everything you find as well, too. Um, Again, my name is Rafael Garcia. You can catch me at rgarcia underscore sports across social media. Thank you for listening to this uh, show today, and please be sure to send any questions to me on Twitter as well. I'll do the best I can to get to those, and thank you again, everyone, and have a great night.